1: Let be royals, royals, it can run, run in our blood. blood. The, the kind of, of looks just same for us, we came a different kind of buzz. Let me be your ruler, ruler,
2: you can call Queen, me Queen Bee, and baby I'll rule, I'll rule. Let me live that fantasy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to the Command Zone podcast. Slash watching it on YouTube.com slash the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's
1: it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. It's that time. It is that time. Modern Horizons is almost here. And that means we are going to be unveiling our exclusive, provided to us free of charge from Wizards of the Coast, Preview cards. Preview card. I don't know. They I tell thought us... you were going to hype up what it was. They, but did, it was... they, they, they always tell us, you got to say that. I don't know it's why. It's true. But Free of charge. Yes, this card with that I'm holding my hand, they did not charge us for it. Uh, it is
2: absurd, and I cannot wait to talk about it. In fact, it, it may just be, you thought Feather was cool?
1: Listen, we had Vanifar before that. Yep. And I would say I'm pretty certain this, it's a legendary creature, by the way, is the most powerful of those three cards by a, a decent margin. I'd say more than a decent margin. Yeah. We've never
2: had a commander card that I think could easily enter into CEDH territory, and oh, this yeah.
1: one... This one absolutely <laughs> does. It's it out of the park. It's possibly too powerful, but... Yeah.
2: And now, if you're going to want to pre-order this card uh, or any of the other cards in Modern Horizons, you should head on over to cardkingdom.com slash commandzone. That's our affiliate link. Modern Horizons is going to be an amazing set, I can already tell, based on the things that we've seen, and I think you're going to want a lot of those cards, so you're going to buy them anyway. Use our affiliate link. You'll support the show.
1: Yeah, or you can uh, you know order the cards that are going to go in this Urza deck, whether you're building the very mean version or maybe a more fun version. Wow, you just spoiled the name of the card. Oh yeah, it's Urza. Sorry. Oh, um, <laughs> it's well, Urza. if you skipped ahead, you wouldn't even know the name you yet. You wouldn't even know. Well, although they'd skip ahead to the part where we're the name again, so it wouldn't matter. That's a good point. When you do order those cards, there a lot of them are probably not going to be super super cheap. You know, they might be worth a few dollars. Uh, so like you want to yeah, you want to protect them. So you're going to want to put them into an Ultra Pro Eclipse sleeve. You're going to want to make sure that you play them onto a sweet play mat so they don't get all dirty. You know, you don't want to just play it on the sidewalk like oh, we used no. to as kids. The so, gravel. yeah, make sure that you use Ultra Pro products to protect and organize all of your cards. They are the best. And the final way to support the show, of course, is at
2: patreon.com directly slash command zone. That is how you can be a patron of the show. You can join our Discord server where we discuss spoilers like these and as well as brew. You can get help from other players as well as talk to Josh and I directly online. And we do one special thing every every episode where we shout out one lucky patron.
1: So this week's episode is dedicated to, to Michael D'Avignon. D'Avignon. Michael, you rock. You do rock. We both did the D'Artagnan thing. Yeah. I don't know. It could it could go either way. It one could for be all. D'Avignon too. All for one. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's jump into our main topic. I know you're all chomping at the bit to see what our preview card is, Jimmy. Oh boy, it's me. That was a drum roll. <laughs> Just in case people didn't know. I thought you were just clearing your throat. (laughs) The card
2: that we are previewing for Modern Horizons is a mythic rare. It is Urza, Lord High Artificer. Urza is back, and boy, is he more powerful than ever. Way better than ever, yeah. Yeah, two blue blue for a legendary creature human artificer. He's a 1-4. There's a lot of text, so just yeah. pay attention. There are three main pieces of text here. The first piece of text. When Urza, Lord High Artificer, enters the battlefield, create a 0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. The second line of text. Tap an untapped artifact you control. Add a blue mana. The third line of text, because <laughs> two wasn't enough. Yeah. Five generic mana. Shuffle your library, then exile the top card. Until end of turn, you may play that
1: card without paying his mana cost. So five generic mana, colon, do that. Yeah. So if you have 10 generic mana, or 10 mana of any color, basically, you shuffle your library, exile the top card, play it without paying its mana cost, then do that again.
2: Yeah, and how are you going to ever pay for that much? Yeah, that's it's five. It's so much mana. crazy. Ma- There's only
1: a way that you had a card that helped gain you more mana. Yeah, if only Urza made all your artifacts into Moxon. Including the one that he comes into the battlefield with. That's right. Which it's... becomes a big creature over time, too. So at a base level, he's a four mana, one four that brings a mana rock with him.
2: Yeah, that may be huge,
1: could also attack, but more importantly, can also tap for mana without needing to be have haste. Oh yeah. It's like a zombie, right? Yeah. Where it doesn't give the artifact the ability to tap for mana. It's it it says tap an untapped artifact you control add blue. So that's like a downside. It's like Urza's tapping the thing to add the mana. So yeah. it doesn't require summoning sickness doesn't matter. Yeah, the creature that you put
2: onto the battlefield you can tap it because Urza is the one that has the activated ability to do that.
1: Yeah. It's um Wow. Wow is very right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little story. It's a slight spoiler. Obviously, the next Game Nights is going to be around Modern Horizons. Yes. I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. What happens normally for Game Nights is we choose the guests, and if you've been paying attention, you'll know that it's Graham and Kathleen from Loading Ready Run. And then we show, you know, all the legendary creatures in the set to everybody, and we say to the guests, you choose first, and Jimmy and I will choose from what's remains. Mm-hmm. So it turned out that uh, we won't spoil what the uh, we don't know what cards have been spoiled at this point. Uh, yeah, but it turns out that I got Urza at the end of this. I chose Urza because I was like, "This looks pretty powerful. I'll build this." Pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. So as I started to build it, I I'm like I called Jimmy into my office and I was like, "Jimmy, we gotta I gotta change because <laughs> I can't play this because this is ridiculous. This will destroy every other." deck at the table it will destroy most decks in edh if built correctly yeah i i, I we're going to talk about this a little near the end but yeah it's it's definitely c level competitive level i would be very very surprised if this is not like a tier one or 1.5 yeah commander so so WoW was the first thing we thought when we saw it. I mean, I thought it was gonna be powerful, but as I started to put it together, it became clear that it's very
2: powerful. Well, even I, I even was like, well, can you build it in a subpar way? And it was like, not really. It's,
1: it seemed hard to do that. I think you probably could. It's tough for us to on game nights because people will just be like, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't yeah. you do that? In general, we like to build like a pretty good version of the deck. And a good version of Urza, it it feels broken. It's just far more powerful than any of the
2: other options we had. And we looked at it and we thought about it for a while and it was very clear that Urza is just bonkers powerful compared to the rest.
1: But the good part of this is that I got a fair way into building that deck. And so we're going to actually talk about some of the things you can do with this commander if you do want to build it. So the first category, this won't be a full deck tech, but it's going to be definitely more more uh, in-depth than our normal preview episode. Although I suppose with Feather, we kind of did a similar thing. Maybe we're True. just doing this now. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, look, if, if Wizards is going to provide us with a card like this, yeah. we are going to
2: be excited about it. Um, I don't know anything about Modern, by the way, and I'm sure the implications of this card in Modern are also somewhat significant, but in EDH, this is going to be a whammy of a card.
1: Yeah, okay, so the first category is Cheerios. Because there are a ton of zero mana cost artifacts. Uh, Now, most of them don't do a lot, Mm -hmm. but Cheerios is a deck. Anybody that runs a SRAM deck knows there's a bunch of equipment that costs zero. There's Bones. uh, (laughs) Think of like a quarter shield, kite shield, there's a bunch of cards like this and they're all zero mana. So you play those then when Urza's out they're they're literally mock Sapphire plus. Yeah, a card that is very banned in EDH. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty good. If What's- you <laughs> If <laughs> you just like, hey, I'm going to turn all like 20 cards in my deck into moxes. I have this 25-cent
2: card called the of Shield, and with Urza, it becomes one of the most powerful cards it ever printed. It becomes a $9,000 card. Yeah, <laughs> ever printed in the history of Magic. Yeah, so Cheerios comes from the name, obviously, of when you see the card, it says zero at the top right. Looks like a Cheerio. Thus, it is. there have been decks built around this sort of thing. Um, Wes played a SRAM deck on game nights, yep. and you could see how powerful it was because his commander let him draw cards when he played in equipment or an artifact like that, so he would just basically cycle all of these cards. Urza just turns them all into mana rocks, colored yeah. mana rocks, no less. And also, Sram had
1: that sort of restriction in that it had to be equipment, right? Mm-hmm. But Urza doesn't care. It's just artifacts. So there's a bunch of zero-mana artifacts that were st- are still going to be mocks, and-, and actually, some of them are useful. There's a bunch of, w- of zero-mana artifacts that are like, you wouldn't really run the card all by itself, but with the upside of it's also a mana rock, you definitely would, so there's like Tormod's Crypt. Yeah, which is, you know, a graveyard
2: hoser. There's like a card you would normally not really play because there are other better options to hose graveyards.
1: But like if you're like, well, sometimes it's mana, yeah, then <laughs> then you 100% run it. There's like Zuron Orb, which is life gain. You sacrifice lands to gain life. Yeah, usually only seen in like
2: Omnath decks, yep. but now all of a sudden it becomes a multi-utility artifact. There's
1: Spellbook, which just reliquary towers for your hand basically. Again, not a card you would play because that's not worth a card by itself but when it's zero mana man I keep doing that wow
2: you keep doing that for those of you listening Josh is unable to toss piece of uh, it took me three eye. tries to get the table The I, I think I caught that from DJ um Um, dark sphere is another card i didn't even know existed it's from the dark normally it's just an artifact that costs you you tap it and you prevent damage from a
1: source the next time that source would deal damage you prevent half of it it's like a half fog for one thing it's pretty bad but awful but if it also taps for mana it's a it's a moxin that does that
2: and in general, you'll find that CEDH decks play like seven to eight zero mana cost cards, all oh, yeah. of the different moxes that do exist that you can play. The chrome moxes, the mox diamonds
1: and all that yeah. stuff, yeah.
2: Uh, and now we just have all, you basically have access to an additional, like, eight to ten of them that you could easily play in this deck. And so that's why we think that the CEDH implications of this are very powerful. Now, of course, you have to cast Urza first. Otherwise, you're just playing these zero drop right. artifacts.
1: But once Urza's out... Uh, I mean, ya. we learn from how priority works. If Urza doesn't get countered, you're going to get to tap all those artifacts for mana. Yeah. So there's not going to be a, a, a time in there to respond. At least, you know, even if they go to swords it, you're going to get the mana off the rocks one time at least. Yeah. There's also a bunch... The next, the next um, category I called plus mana rock. So think of all your artifacts with static abilities. They become that plus, plus mana, mana rock, right? Yeah. So you're looking at like Torpor Orb. Yeah, creatures
2: entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger, which is very relevant, very important in EDH in general.
1: Sometimes it can feel like not worth an entire card in your deck because you don't know. Yeah. Although I'll say Torpor Orb always like hoses decks. But at the same time, like now it also taps for mana. So you can just afford to have it in there. Yeah, it would just the utility. I mean, like, again... It, the card itself doesn't tap
2: for mana. Urza has an ability right. that allows you to tap the artifact for mana. So don't think that the card itself has that text. You need to have Urza out for it. But Meekstone, again, another great card that is able to stop creatures with power three or greater two un- that don't untap during their controllers untap step. Uh yeah. And of course, we do know that snow-covered islands are going to be or snow-covered lands are going to be in Modern Horizons. And one of my favorite cards in my mono red deck is Extra Planar Lens. And normally this card is very dangerous, right? It's a three-mana artifact that comes out. You have to exile a land under it, so you do lose a land Two-for-ones you when you do it, yeah. But then all your lands tap for—all your snow-covered lands, in this case, would tap for double mana. And you're doing that because other players aren't playing Snow-Covered Basics. Now Extra planar Lens doesn't two do for one you as much because that card taps for mana. It's also a mana rock. It's a three mana, yeah. It's a three mana mana rock, which is- It's a- like
1: Chromatic Lantern. If Chromatic Lantern said all your lands tap for double rather than the other thing. Yeah. It, that should be just be way better, right? It's like mirari's Wake Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that Extra planar Lens trick, if you haven't uh, heard of it, you should look it up with Snow Covered Basics. Uh, yeah. Although it might not be as great right now because, or right when Modern Horizons comes out, I'm assuming a lot of people are going to put a bunch of snow covered lands in their decks just for novelty because they look cool. I mean, I would,
2: I, I, I like the look of them in general, but they, co- you know, the original ones cost a decent amount and trying to outfit all of your, snow, your lands as that. It's not worth it, especially in like three color decks. Yeah. But in monocolored decks, extra planar lands is one of the, the, the really great ways to just like jump ahead in terms of your mana.
1: There's stuff like Black Vice, which taxes people for having too many cards in hand. Ankh of Mishra, which does damage when people play uh, lands. Um, There's a really mean one, too, Winter Orb, which would be... Winter Orb may be the best
2: because the card, if it's tapped, doesn't have its ability. But with Urza, you can instant speed tap it. So you can lock everyone else's lands down but keep yours up alive. Winter
1: Orb is mean, 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 mean. Yeah, because Winter Orb says players can only untap one land Mm -hmm. per turn. Two things here. One is you don't need your lands as much because all your Cheerios artifacts are tapping for mana and artifacts untap just fine. And two, like Jimmy said, there's a Rata on Winter Orb. If you see one of the early versions, it doesn't say this. But if Winter Orb is tapped, it doesn't have that effect. So if you just tap it on the instep before your turn and then you get to untap all your lands... Yeah and nobody else does. This also works with like Howling Mine, which mm-hmm. doesn't draw people extra oh, cards right. if it's tapped. So you can tap it for mana, and then it untaps on your untapped phase, and you just draw the extra card. Yeah, so,
2: normally those cards are pretty, th- that part of the text is almost never relevant. Yeah. Sometimes pe- people do make their decks to abuse
0: Winter
1: Orb, but like whenever you play Howling Mine, I'm never expecting that thing to get tapped. Yep. Uh, there's even cards like Icker Wellspring, which just draws you a card when it comes into play, and normally is not that much value. But think of how good Mindstone is, right? Yeah. Mindstone, you have to sacrifice it. This draws you a card when it comes into play and then taps for mana. Again, assuming Urza's out. The, already we're in the realm of like insanely powerful because whenever you're playing around with one of the two pillars we always talk about, card draw and or ramp, you are in dangerous territory and this is ramp on steroids. You being the danger, not... Yeah. <laughs> you being the card designer. Yeah, you are
2: the danger. I mean, look, I don't know who designed this card, but part of me goes, Why?
1: Uh, yeah because the, the well hold on we're gonna get into that later we're okay, gonna, okay, we're gonna okay, get to okay. that later right. um we're still talking about cool things you can do because there are a lot clues and treasure tokens yeah all of a sudden they become you much don't more sack valuable. them anymore yeah and the clues themselves are just great
2: because you can turn them into card draw or you can just use them for mana with there is out gold as well those there's less
1: of that so obviously right. like spell swindle spell swindle is crazy if you pull it off but imagine if mana drain just gave you that mana every turn. Yeah, and you never had you
2: could choose if you didn't want to use the spell swindle tokens to like tap them for mana.
1: You're just like, oh, I, so when I spell swindle your seven drop, now I just have seven extra mana rocks. Yeah. I mean if you're not
2: winning on that next turn, and I assume the C E D H decks will ramp out Urza as fast as they can, drop a ton of cards with chicken. They're not gonna even
1: play spell swindle. It's too expensive for yeah, them. That, yeah, that
2: that's too expensive. You're just playing a bunch of stuff and then all of a sudden on turn
1: three or four you have access to I don't know, like eight to fifteen mana, probably. It could be an insane amount. Yeah. So there's cards like Confirmed Suspicions, which counters a spell, makes three clues. There's Trail of Evidence, which is a uh, enchantment. Anytime you cast an instant or sorcery, you investigate. Yep. You make a clue token. So now, anytime you cast an instant or sorcery, you brainstorm and you go, "I make a mana rock." <laughs> like, ma- like ma- a mana rock. We pay two mana for those. Yeah. We and pay, and, oh, and yeah. in monocolored decks, we play as many of them as of the two uh, mana ones as we can get.
2: Not to mention they don't add colored mana. Right. So a lot of times the people are trying to go... Some do. fell Right, on right. Ones, but, if but people are trying to go infinite with like a Palancron, one of the big things is like, oh crap, I don't have enough blue to recast Palancron. I can make
1: infinite colorless or whatever. Urza gets right around that. Um, Hornswoggle is another card that counters a creature spell and yeah. makes uh, treasure and again... It becomes a mini mana drain when you do stuff like that. Like it's pretty crazy.
2: Tamiyo's journal too. If you're playing a lot of clues, can also just start tutoring for you. But also you're making a mana rock every turn and getting the five mana in this deck. I think is not an issue whatsoever. So there's a lot of things that happen here with Urza that are just absurd. Plus we haven't even talked about his third ability, by
1: the way. Yeah, this is just the tapping artifacts for mana part. We're not done yet. There are artifact payoffs. So like efficient construction is an enchantment that any time you cast or is it cast cast yeah, yeah. an artifact you create a thopter token that which taps. is an artifact which taps for more mana
2: which also makes by the way it's not not completely irrelevant that the creature that comes into the battlefield gets bigger every single time you play an artifact that's so. true
1: you get one creature that's basically as big as the number of artifacts you have
2: yeah it could be like a seven seven on turn three or whatever and
1: just start smacking people for a oh, lot it of could damage be even as well. bigger than that oh totally because if you cast Urza hold your artifacts and then you know, go blah, blah 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 somewhere in there, cast Efficient Construction. Right. You could have nine, ten artifacts easy. Yeah. Um, another card that I really like from uh, M19,
2: the core set, is Psy, Master Thopterist, and he's the same uh, as Efficient Construction whenever you cast an artifact, you make a 1-1 one, one colorless Thopter, but the other ability, one in the blue to sacrifice two artifacts and then you draw a card. You can tap for that one in the blue with the two artifacts you sack.
1: Pretty good. Or with the, art, yeah. The two artif- yeah, the artifact you're gonna sack, you can tap it first for mana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's Riddle Smith that lets you loot uh, when I think artifacts come into play. There's Thopter Spy Network that again, yeah, is card draw and makes artifacts. There's Thopter Spy Network is great in this. There's Antiquities War, which is the saga from Dominaria that turns all of your artifacts into five fives. Right. So and once that's you've the third gone act. through all of that, that you could maybe get to that point. Yeah. Um. And, and that could be a, maybe a win condition in the deck to turn all the artifacts, the 50 million artifacts you made into. Well, not to
2: mention the first two phases are you revealing artifacts and yep. you're, you're finding them from the top
1: cards of your library. So you are going to be drawing cards off of this as well. Yeah, this is pretty nuts already, right? And we're talking about, you might be surprised to know that we haven't even gotten into what I consider to be the the really broken powerful stuff yeah we're just talking about that the cutesy you can stuff we're doing right now yeah and just the just, efficiency of all of it some of this would be the basis in a competitive more competitive style deck but this is also stuff that could be in the quote unquote fun version except for maybe winter or fun version i don't think there <laughs> is a fun version of this deck but we're going to talk about the more powerful stuff you can do in a minute we're just going to take a quick break before that and hear a message from our sponsors Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks
0: with your first order at kizik.com socks.
1: Okay, we're back and we are talking about our preview card from Modern Horizons, Urza. Lord High Artificer, we sort of just ran down all the, uh, how would you say, the... Value-based slash cool
2: interactions slash ways to make this work more smoothly in your deck. Fun stuff. Fun, yeah. It's, I cool, mean, it's all fun stuff the right stuff. person, right? Yeah.
1: Now we're going to talk about the broken stuff you can do. And I'll, I'll admit, I didn't go down the road here totally i just started to saw where the path was leading and and was like okay i'm sure you can do a bunch of this broken stuff you started to feel bad about yourself right you're like oh boy (laughs) i was like that was the point at which i was like i gotta change what i'm building so i didn't like finish like tweaking but we're just gonna mention some possibilities of stuff you could do in here and i'm sure the cedh people and everybody else will figure out the The specifics of, of tweaking it to like the most highly tuned and again listen I got in trouble a little on Twitter recently for even mentioning Infinite Combos. So to that one person, I apologize. But it kind of is within our job. It was the
2: one person? Uh, never it's mind. kind well, of within our
1: it. job here to <laughs> just lay out the possibilities. I don't tell people how to play. Play how you want to play. Just make sure that... If you see Urza on the table, you should know what's possible also. Well, for one, this commander is kill
2: on sight, I think, of of all. I mean, Vanifar, sure, too, but Urza immediately goes into effect, even without haste enablers. The question is, is Urza Paradox Engine level good? I think so. I yeah. think it's better than
1: Vanifar by a little bit, because Vanifar... Not just a little bit, a lot. Yeah, by a lot, because yeah. Vanifar has to get an activation off, and with Summoning Sickness, there's a natural check on that. Urza could go off the turn you cast it mm-hmm. fairly easily. So... Yeah, is it Paradox Engine good? Oh, sorry,
2: I I killed your lead-in. No, it's well, clearly the first broken thing you can do with this card is just play Paradox Engine.
1: Paradox Engine untaps all your artifacts every time you cast a spell, and all your artifacts are... Zero cost artifacts, so you're going to have 50 of them.
2: Yeah. You it's... can just go bam, tap, bam, tap, bam, tap, and generate. You could, I don't know. I bet there's a way to get like 50
1: mana or infinite mana by turn four, turn three, turn four with this card. Plus Urza has a, a mechanic that's close to card draw on it. Yeah. Um. So you can sort of get yourself out of some, some corners you might get into otherwise where you just don't have gas. Yeah. Urza can help you get out of that with that, with that last ability. I mean, you generate infinite mana, you can play your entire deck essentially. Uh, and Paradox Engine will help you get infinite mana. And there's a thing I want to talk about here. The mono blue is really, 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 really good at getting an artifact into play, a specific artifact. They're probably the best color at it. So to put this in mono blue and make Paradox Engine such a key linchpin in the deck, it's not going to be hard if you want to to get Paradox Engine. So this is the suite of cards that you can run to make sure you can get Paradox into, into play. War of Invention, which is instant speed, mm-hmm. also uses Has your artifacts to cast to tap, it, yeah. even without Urza out. Uh, Reshape requires you to, um, I think, sacrifice an artifact to get one into play. There's Transmute Artifacts, same sort of deal. There's Fabricate, another tutor for an artifact. You can use Forge Master, which is a little bit slower, but can sacrifice three artifacts and go tutor for artifacts. This is something that... I, I mean, there's five cards, so you, have, you can basically... Just right there, I have six copies of Paradox Engine in your deck. Yeah, you're pretty much building the deck right
2: now. If you're going for the full competitive level, it's basically how do we ramp Urza out, and once he's out, how do we get cards like Paradox Engine out, and then after that, how are you going to win the game with that? Yeah, you you basically get to choose, right? There are a lot of different ways of doing it, um, but obviously this is
1: it's it's God, it's so powerful. <laughs> I'm so unhappy. There's another this. very commonly used um, infinite, infinite, infinite combo, infinite yeah combo, combo yeah. yeah, which is dramatic reversal. Which is uh, one in blue for an instant, and you untap all non land permanents you control. True. And then Isochron Scepter, when you play it, you can. Uh, yeah, you exile a CMC t- uh, spell two in or less. Instant. In your, that's yeah, two or less. Or that's it. And it kind of imprints it onto Isochron Scepter, and then you can basically pay to tap the Scepter and cast that spell. And so with Dramatic Reversal under Isochron Scepter, you can go infinite because Dramatic Reversal untaps the Isochron Scepter. And then, boom. And then, boom. And so that's infinite mana as long as you have, like, one other mana rock. In this case, you're going to have 50. And then, again, we said, as soon as you get infinite mana with Urza, that last ability where you pay five, shuffle your library, exile the top card, and then until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost. Yeah. means that you can immediately play your entire deck, which is, you know, basically means if you ever go infinite on mana, you're going to win. Because anytime you can play your entire deck, you're going to you know, have a couple cards in there that are just going to make you win.
2: Basalt Monolith and Rings of Bright Hearth or Power Artifact. Now, this is just another, like, mono blue staple in terms of, like, being able to untap the Basalt Monolith and generate more mana than than it costs to untap it. Um... Oh, gosh, Power Artifacts is a very expensive card, but Rings of Brightheart, the Salt Monolith, I mean, they're all expensive cards. That's sort of the nature of... We'll I mean, dramatic lot. Reversal and Isocron aren't. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, that, the thing about Mono Blue is they just have a thousand different ways of doing something like this, and they have cards like Palancron in the deck, in, in the colors that allow you to just do pretty crazy shenanigans in general. Um, Unwinding Clock is a card that we saw Ashland use to great effect in game nights. Uh, also, again, very good in terms of acting semi like a Prophet
1: of crucifix slash uh, Yeah, I think Seaborn it's Seaborn Muse, Muse in yeah. this deck, basically. Because imagine you just have like six or seven artifacts out, which yeah. won't be hard at all. Then that means you're doing that last ability, shuffle your library, exile the top card, play it without paying its minor cost on everybody's turn. Mm-hmm. Just that on a base level is crazy. Blink Moth Infusion. Yeah, bring this one up. This is... This is 12 blue blue for an instant, but it has affinity for artifacts. So it costs one um, colorless less to cast, or one generic less, less to cast for each artifact you control. And then you untap all artifacts. Right. So if you have enough artifacts, it wouldn't be that hard to just pay blue blue and untap all your artifacts. Well, it's 14. So if you have yeah. seven artifacts, you can tap them all for a blue mana. And this
2: costs seven less. So then you immediately just cast this, untap everything, and you know, yeah.
1: you're on your way. So. Uh, Flux Reservoir is also a card that would be very, very powerful in this deck, because there's a bunch of cards, there's a whole suite of cards that bounce all your artifacts back to your hand.
2: Yep, and if they're all zero cost, or you're already playing them and they can tap for mana, you can just replay all of them, and then boom, your life total is. You, you could, I mean, you could storm off with
1: Urza. If you I think it'd be to. pretty easy. The turn you play Urza, right? You play Urza, you ha, you play like seven or eight Cheerios style artifacts, or they're already on the battlefield from having drawn them earlier. You. Play Etherflux Reservoir. Then you play something like Hercules Recall on Yourself. Mm-hmm. There's Rebuild, Retract, Displacement Wave. Paradoxical uh, Outcome. Paradoxical Outcome. You bounce all those artifacts back to your hand. You play them again. Now, there's seven or eight of them, so that's seven or eight Etherflux Reservoir triggers. If you can bounce them back to your hand one more time, you're now looking at... You've cast like... Well, you've cast... 15, 17, 16. 20 spells, maybe, counting yeah. Urza that turn, counting, you know, and that's one plus Reservoir. Plus yeah. plus plus yeah. So much life. You're, you're at easily over, you know, 160 life, and... You're paradoxical w- Outcome also just draws you all those cards, too. Paradoxical so Outcome returns non-land permanence to your hand, and you draw a card for each one of them. Yeah. And again, because they're free to cast you just drop them back down but they are that is casting
2: spells. Yeah, you can play cards like Mycosynth Lattice to make everything an artifact and then Memnarch just steal everyone's thing because you have infinite blue mana. As soon as you go infinite.
1: Yeah, and this creates infinite
2: colored mana. Yeah, that's the nutty part about it. You can yeah, you can steal everything. So all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about this his final line of text which is okay. five mana shuffle your library then exile the top card and then you can play that card without paying its mana cost. So in a lot of ways this is actually better than card draw because you're casting a card for free off the top of your library. Also, it says shuffle your library specifically, so you can't use stuff
1: like Scroll Rack to stack the top, top. of your library and then use yeah, and then use those cards. Brainstorm those things yeah. don't work to like set up, but it doesn't matter because you're not going to do this hoping for what the top thing is. You're just going to do it just fifty you... times. <laughs> you know, I don't care what the top thing is because I'm going to do this enough where I'm going to find whatever it is that I'm looking yeah. for. you can't you cast, cast lands off it, but yeah, you no, you can play it. it. Yeah, y- you play it. You can so. play a land, and and you you don't pay the mana cost. So whatever it is that thing is happening. Yeah, It seems pretty nuts. I think easily competitive level broken if you build it with all the infinite combos. Yeah, If you don't, still seems very, very good. It, it harkens to Thrasios in a lot of ways too because yeah. that same play pattern of like, I create a lot of mana, however much it is, whether it's infinite or not, and that allows me to just rifle through my deck and play a, a bunch of things yeah. because when you make the activation cost... In this case, I guess if it was colored, it wouldn't matter because the artifacts are creating blue mana. I would have thought that it would be colored. What but I know
2: they make it generic,
1: just because. Let's, like, what I would have done with this card is the tap and untap artifact you control, have it add one colorless mana, yeah. and then make it cost four and a blue to activate that last part where you shuffle your library and then play the top card. Right, so you can't Keep just... Keep a check and balance on it a little bit. Instead,
2: we have the card that we have in front of us right now. And not to mention, like Thrasios is great when you get stuff like training grounds out, and the fact that you can partner with another commander, and you have to have a couple other pieces to really get it going, and a ton of mana. Urza just skips all of those steps by having the effect on him, and it's absurdly powerful. And you're playing the card too; you're not just drawing it like with Thrasios. Uh, and and the fact that all your artifacts just turn into mana rocks—it's for colored mana.
1: For colored mana. Oh, imagine if Thrasios also had a ramp mechanic on him yeah that's what urza is yeah they were like oh uh if you have a lot of mana you could just play cards for free yeah well let's let's make him also help you have a lot of mana you know it would feel bad to have him out and you don't have a lot of mana yeah and it'd
2: feel bad if you had him out a lot of mana and couldn't do anything with it so let's give him an ability that can just get you right back in the game in case you're behind somehow by just playing cards off the top of your library for free
1: i suppose this should we could take this opportunity here because um for like a little game design discussion, yeah. This is um, this is probably the most interesting part of the episode for me too. So I th- I think you know recently, and I'm talking in the last like six months maybe, we've seen a few cards that are a little bit scary to me. Vanifar, mm-hmm. one of them. Bolus's Citadel, mm-hmm. I think, is on that list. And now Urza. Is Wizards making cards that are too powerful now? Have they strayed over the line? Well, it's funny because, in general, everyone sort of believes, not everyone, a lot
2: of players will say that the most powerful cards came from, like, Urza's Saga, which, of course, well, shares a namesake. It has like. Urza in its name. Uh, and and that was because at R&D during the time, people were just going nuts. They're like, ah, whatever, let's just make fun stuff. And they ended up making a ton of broken, busted stuff. And since then, I've, we've all seen a market decrease in terms of the general power level of things because they need to enter into Standard and in general, and then the cards that they print in Commander that are really powerful, like True Name Nemesis, weren't even that amazing for Commander. So they they found, a, I think, a pretty good balance of not making super busted stuff. But even with, like, Paradox Engine. Yeah, that's another one, and that was maybe a year before that. Like, I, I feel Two like... Two years, maybe. I, I don't think someone... Obviously, R&D knows what they're doing, and they can see this card and go, like, yeah, why not? But I don't think... For Modern Horizons, they were particularly being like, "Well, we should make sure that EDH doesn't get busted
1: because of this." I mean, I can understand it on a card that doesn't have the word "Legendary Creature" on it. True, but whenever that's there, there's only eight or nine of those per sets. You think that they, in house they'd be like, "Okay, let's look at the Legendary Creatures real quick and let's make sure that they're not like absolutely busted, broken for Commander." <laughs> you know, because you can sort of forgive Balis's Citadel and Paradox Engine a little bit. They they're yeah. going to be in the ninety nine, but something like Urza like you look at it and your first thought has to be this can be your commander because it says legendary creature right on it. Yeah. My second thought is is this is probably the most powerful mono blue commander ever printed. I don't know. Teferi's pretty good. <laughs> Teferi's good, but... Te- Teferi's it- going to do what this deck's going to do th- in almost a very similar way. It's going to go into the It comes out mana. a little
2: later. It costs True. more. You can only activate it once a turn unless you use Chain Veil tactics. Like, Well, this- I mean, that's the whole thing, but yeah. yeah. This card has everything on the actual card. And it's not like Teferi where you have to, like, choose one. Because sometimes people will play Teferi and, like, all right, final draw cards or discard, or you know. Well, that's
1: normal Teferi. But, yeah the, yeah, the the combo-y Teferi deck. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I have the Teferi deck, the comboy one, and it's very powerful. This could be more powerful, though. It's definitely possible.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like turning, because, like, fast mana is one of the, the prime staples of CEH decks. And Urza being able to create more fast mana seems very powerful. Especially, It's, well,
1: it's like, hi, my deck has 20 moxes in it. Yeah. Like, how is that not going to be just crazy broken? Yeah. I. Do you think this is going to get banned? Um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I, I think no, based on the fact that, like... Teferi exists, too. The only way it would get banned is if it was a step above what's already Tier 1 right now. Right. If it's basically equal to the Breakfast Hulk, Hulk decks and mm-hmm. the Doomsday decks and the Teferi decks and then the Geelas and all that then i think it's fine like yeah. but if 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 it starts looking like oh this deck is you know even better than those then i think the rc might consider banning in that circumstance cuz in general I, what do we see with vanifar it wasn't even the most popular or most built commander from that set which i think says a lot about commander players and is actually great yeah they aren't trying to skew towards the most powerful thing all the time like a lot of people recognized yeah vanifar it's super powerful it's actually so powerful that I don't actually think it's going to be fun.
2: Yeah, and it also leads to a very linear playstyle of like you have to get these cards in that order for it to win. Yeah. So I think a lot of people can, and, and also like you're shuffling your library constantly to yeah. get those cards. So I, I can see people not liking that kind of thing. Urza, I can see having a similar effect because if you are just constantly acting in the five. Unless you're doing it infinitely. You do have to shuffle your library every single
1: time. <laughs> I mean, I think most groups would be like, just do the top card because it doesn't matter. Like unless you brainstormed or, or something right. like, you know, unless you should know it, then the, you can cut out you can shortcut the shuffle thing. Like yeah. if everybody looks around and goes, You know I don't know what the top card is, right? Nobody does. So shuffling it won't make any difference. So let's just speed this up. Um But I think it's an interesting interesting question, and I do think maybe R and D is straying in the wrong direction with power level of power. Oh, interesting. Uh, because I, I see Bullis' Citadel, Vanifar, and mm-hmm. Urza for sure as like, wow, we should probably take the dial and turn it down a notch or two. Well, think about the first commander sets that came out, because we have to
2: know this is the first time Modern Horizons has existed. Right. The first commander sets had stuff like Animar and stuff from right. there, and those are considered very, very powerful, at least for that time, they're very powerful. Yeah. So maybe we're seeing a little bit of that effect, which is like new shiny thing. We want, We want to make a splash. We want to make this set... You know, we want people to buy it, obviously, and we want more people to invest in these cards.
1: But I mean, did they? They should learn. Like, Vanifar doesn't make people buy sets. Feather does, right? You know, Tesa, the the new Tesa was much more popular than Vanifar. Don't make the most powerful card. That's actually not what Commander players mostly want. Already in the most powerful color too, as yeah. well in Commander. So, well, there's some debate about that based yeah, on statistics yeah. episode. But I okay, know. <laughs> I know. All right, so we're going to um, we're going to leave Versus behind now. We're going to let him go he's gonna go play in the competitive pot over there yeah. where, where I don't usually I, I don't, don't think you can dwell. make a casual <laughs> deck, really. I mean, maybe. Uh, um, but speaking of Feather.
2: Yes. Speaking of Feather, uh, when the card came out, there was such hype around it. It was amazing. On our Discord server, which is available to certain tiers of our Patreon, uh, people decide to start brewing decks around feather and so what we did was we had a server-wide hey come on into this channel if you have a deck list or want to talk about cards you might think are cool in feather post them here and deliver them to us and we'll take a look at them and now that we're like i think a couple of months out from that feather discussion we have a couple of highlights that we wanted to highlight from our community and we're going to be doing, doing the same thing for urza so if you are our part of our discord already you can just hop on over that channel and start brewing away
1: if you're not you can join our patreon And you might get shouted out on the future episode of the Command Zone podcast. This is a good look behind the curtain, too, to see how our Discord works for those people that aren't currently patrons. Yeah. It is pretty cool, and something uh, you know we'd like you to consider.
2: Oh, it's great! You can just be like, hey, I like this card, and you it'll pop it up, and they'll show it in the chat, and other people are like, oh, this works because of this. Like, oh, actually, that interaction doesn't work, and so it's great to get some rules clarification sometimes, or just be in a like minded community that we all love and, and and appreciate, of course. Okay, so what's some of the cool feather stuff that people came up with? So, Clutch the Legions Jank Edge uh, decided to make a dinosaur themed feather deck because Enrage, <laughs> which is uh, awards you essentially for dealing damage to your own creatures, and of course, feather has a lot of target spells that are targeting your own stuff uh and so that i thought that was pretty cute unfortunately they did not put rampaging frost on in so not take a damage, take a damage. <laughs> that
1: uh, you know there's like ryle and some other stuff yeah. that actually does seem like it would be great and there's or well, like uh, with
2: Trap jaw Tyrant and stuff. You're just like, you're going nuts if you, you can
1: kill There's the one that like, spells yeah, back. basically like O-rings people too. Yeah. Or the one that
2: just deals <laughs> damage. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Sun's Champion decided to make a token slash heroic matters deck. Heroic also cares about when you target creatures with your own spells. And they have Mentor of the Meek, Young Pyromancer, and of course Goblin Slide, which if you're p- casting a non-creature uh, spell, you get to pay one and make a goblin. Probably Monastery Mentor in there too. Yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Yeah, that yeah. sounds a little bit like mine, my yeah. version. Yeah. and Brayden, uh, who was a moderator on Discord <laughs> as well. Brayden is
1: our resident competitive uh, yeah. player. Yeah. We
2: had to include one CEDH deck here. There's only six creatures in the deck. It's running Burnout, Red Elemental Blast, every like anti-blue thing in the deck. And has like we said before, they, CEDH plays a lot of Cheerios-based uh, ramp. And he has seven zero-cost ramp artifacts. And he actually made a full primer breaking down the deck as well that you can yeah, check out. Uh,
1: maybe we'll link it in the description. I think he'll give us that link. And then... I, I want to say too that Braden actually said that he took his feather deck to like a GP and played it in some of the competitive oh yeah um like pods there and it did very well which is surprising I wouldn't have thought. That you could really, even feather, that you could make it like CEDH level. But he said that like he's got a pretty controlly version, but that it hangs. So that's that's pretty pretty impressive. Red white hanging in CEDH. That's a first. It is very impressive.
2: Yeah. So if you guys want to contribute and join and show us your own brews and discuss it with Josh, myself, and the rest of the community, you can do so on our Discord, join our Patreon.
1: All the details are there. Okay, so if you're listening to this, you're listening to the audio version, and we are now going to move on to our discussion about War of the Spark draft. So if you're only here for Commander content, and you don't draft, and you don't play Arena or anything like that, then, you know, feel free to turn it off. Or skip to the end step, where we talk about something cool outside of War of the Magic. Yeah, that's true. You could listen to the end step. So for those of you that are still around, we're going to talk about War of the Spark draft. We've been doing it a lot on Arena specifically. I haven't drafted. I've drafted like twice in person and zero on Magic Online. I basically don't open Magic Online anymore.
2: Yeah, I haven't opened it. I I thought about opening it for the Legacy
1: Cube, and I was like, Nah, I'd rather just play Draft. On, yeah, whatever. I just don't want to. I thought about opening it for Legacy Cube. I did open it. I looked at the like you know, like the graphical page or whatever, I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Because my brain's just like, oh, no,
2: go back to Arena. Also, the feel-bads of misclicking in that are so
1: brutal. It's just so slow, too. Like, you do something, it takes a minute to actually, like, Even the card tapping is like... (laughs) You can't, like, drag your cards onto the battlefield. Yeah, that's really annoying, too. Okay, so we're the Spark Draft. It's a pretty complex format. I know a lot of people are having some some troubles with it. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, you said you haven't been doing that great. I haven't been doing that great. I actually And didn't. you usually do like pretty good in draft format. Yeah, so. I always get
2: to like platinum level uh in terms of arena and I always find that I post winning records, but for this I've just found that unless I'm going a very specific direction or forcing it, I've just been losing a lot. And losing a lot in in what I think is going to be a lot of people's complaints about or the Spark, in some pretty feel bad ways.
1: Yeah, I think the format is pretty tough. I've been doing really good. At some point, I had like an 85% win percentage Ooh, after like... Josh is going pro. You yeah. heard it here first. I mean, I was talking about like 60 or 70 matches. Like it Dang. was it was like deep in. So I'm not saying I have it solved, but I have a pretty good outlook, I think, on, on the set. Well, it's very complex. And
2: the, the, main, the main thing is like, what do you attack? And when do you attack it?
1: And what are... Threat assessment is huge in this format. It's... It's the most complicated format that I think I've played, including master sets and stuff, because the Planeswalkers add so many layers of decisions. True. So we're going to walk through it a little bit, and maybe we can help everybody out. You know, our Arena episode of the podcast where we were like, how to reach Mythic, we heard from a lot of people that actually got to Mythic and followed our advice, and so hopefully we can help you guys out too. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was Prince or Popper. So there's been a lot of talk about War of the Spark, and a lot of the chatter out there has been like, it's a very bomb-heavy, bomb-driven format. And it feels very swingy because it feels like luck plays a really big factor. Because if you open... Open something If great, you open right? Oketra, there's just a lot of times it feels like you can't, like, Oketra's unbeatable. Like, if mm-hmm. my opponent plays it, I just cannot win.
2: Yeah, even um, some planeswalkers when they land on the battlefield. Lilliana, there's so many times Ugin. on turn five or six something happens and I look
1: at the board, I look at my hand and go, I just lose. Yeah, I just have no, I have I have no way to way get to out of this situation. yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I thought that at first, but as I played it more, because obviously over the course of that amount of matches, I didn't have bombs most of the time. I just had, like, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, just like right. any other set. But you played against them a lot, too, then, played right? against them a ton. I've, I've beaten every single bomb, and it, listen, Oketra, very, very hard to beat. You can beat it, but if they have Oketra in their deck, your percentage chance to win that match has definitely gone down. It's also very skill testing in terms of how do I beat it now that right. it's here. Now, yeah, so, but I don't, I actually don't think it's as sort of princely as people are saying. I think the bombs are beatable. You just have to sort of draft knowing what's, how the set works. And it's, it's not as intuitive, I think, as you might, you might, it might seem. So the first question we're going to ask here is how do you beat the bombs? Because that's one of the big complaints people have is I just can't beat those bombs and the, and the, the really tough bombs that a lot of people are complaining about is, are the God Eternals.
2: Right, and the God Eternals are especially difficult because anytime they die or are put into exile from the battlefield, so you can't even like, wander a strike to get them out of the way, they get tucked back into your library third from the top. So they're going to draw them again, and you're, you're going to have to play against it again. So getting rid of them is hard. You can't just traditionally remove them because they'll come back. You can't even exile them because they're going to get back to you as well.
1: Yeah, not my favorite mechanic. I, I would have preferred that they designed The they exile design clause this, is yeah, like the real, oh, what? That's just this that's just like a little bit mean. Uh, it makes it pretty quite a bit tougher than it than it would normally be. So there's some ways to deal with it and I actually value some of these cards a little bit higher because of their ability to, to deal with God eternals. And so when I'm drafting, I'm thinking like if I run into a god eternal, I want to have at least I don't want to just be dead to it. I want mm-hmm. my deck to have a chance against these cards. So one of them is Kazmina's transmutation. I think most people know about this one. It's enchantment that turns a creature into a 1-1 with no abilities. Right. So removes
2: flying, removes all the other things. And even if that creature now dies, it's not like Kismia Transmutation flies off. It just dies. It dies as a card.
1: When it dies, it has no abilities. So it doesn't have that ability of tuck it back into your graveyard. Right. Or sorry, into your library. So if you put that on Oketra and then Oketra somehow dies, then it's not coming back. Yeah. Or if the Okedra doesn't die, it's just a 1-1 one, one for the rest of the game, so it still works in your favor. Yeah, it becomes like a chump blocker later on. The
2: nice thing about Kismetra's transmutation is is this is Blue's form of removal. It can't directly get rid of something, but it can change it to something else. The problem with Kismetra's transmutation is that sometimes creatures have 5 plus 1 plus encounters on it, so you turn it into a 1-1 one, one that's a 6-6. Six, six.
1: Yeah, I think Kazmina's Transmutation is good against Guard Eternals. In general, I don't like having it in my deck because it's not very good against the rest of the format. Yeah. Also, just having a Chump Blocker laying around is valuable because of Planeswalkers. So there's a lot of times we are like, Ugh, I wish I would have just killed that creature because I want to attack through it, but they're just going to Chump Block with the Kazmina's Transmutation creature, yep. and now they'll get an extra activation on their Planeswalker. So again, that is a card I would side in if you're playing in the best of threes. And in some decks you do want, if you have a ton of flyers, for example,
2: in your deck, this yeah. is a, a, a perfectly good card to put in. As well as sometimes, you know, people have like a Crunch Wrangler. Yeah. That just gets bigger and bigger. Or a, a Spellkeeper Gorge. The Spell, red Gorge one. Spell Gorge Weird. Spell gorger Weird. Yeah, that thing just grows and grows and grows. So if you can land it early, then it's great. Otherwise, sometimes the card just looks real useless in your hand.
1: Yeah, I don't prioritize it highly. And, and in Best of Ones, I don't really like to play it. Um, I found Totally Lost to be actually pretty good against God Eternals if you have a couple ways to mill. So mm-hmm. the the blue bond, Bond of Insight, oh, is, that is a really good card. It mills both players for four, and then you get to return either two instants, two sorceries, or an instant and sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. So it gives you two cards back. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that it mills your opponent gives you some outs against God Eternals. So a lot of times you can, on the end step, totally lost their God Eternal to the top of their library. Then on your turn, Bond of Insight, and it mills. Or even just kill the, the god, god If you kill you're... the god and then mill him for four, it's going to put yeah. it in the graveyard too. That's a good point. Yeah, there are also cards
2: like Ashiok out there that mill that mill players. Um, now, in general, I've actually built a couple of decks that successfully mill people oh, out. Oh, yeah. Which I, is a very fun uh, way to play in this format.
1: If I were guessing, I've killed people the most and died the most if there was one card it's Ashiok.
2: It's Ashiok, yeah. Yeah.
1: I've I've won the most games with Ashiok and have lost the most games to Ashiok. That card is real. It is super scary. There's a bunch of ways to get it back and blink it. Or you can get two or three of them, in which case yeah. it's just it's sort of unbeatable sometimes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you get five full activations off it, that's twenty. 20 cards in a forty a, yeah, card deck. Exactly. Yeah. Um Toll of the Invasion. Oh, uh, this hand, card's so good. Hand disruption usually isn't that amazing, especially when it costs three mana. This is two in the black for a sorcery. You look at your opponent's hand, you exile a non land permanent from it a non-land card from it yeah they just discard it but yeah. they discard it and then you create a one one you amass one sorry yeah you, you know. basically
1: thought season them in amass one
2: yeah but boy oh boy if there is ever a format to look at your opponent's hand and pick something out of it is this one because not just god eternals but sometimes you'll see other cards in there that
1: you just look at and go can't beat it liliana ugin some other planeswalker sarkin or some yeah something crazy like that all the god eternals Toll of the Invasion, I will run three or four of them in my wow, deck if really? I can. It also amasses one, which is a really big deal. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, right, because you're taking turn three off to cast this card, and you don't want to take a
2: ton of damage back if they're ramping out or if they're just curving out normally.
1: Yeah, I've had games where I'm like, turn three, toll you. Turn four, toll you. Turn five, toll you. And they're just like, done. Yeah. And you just took their th- three best cards And they're left with hand. like two twos. Yeah, on the and you're like, I, the cards that you still have remaining, I'm not scared of. Yeah. So, Toll is very high pick. I think it's probably the fourth best black common, which is yeah. saying a lot because black is really good. Colty, Spark Harvest, Lazatep Reaver. Lazatep Reaver. Yeah, Toll. we'll talk about that in a minute too. Um, and just discard. So, Davriel is discard, and then Davriel's Shadow Fuge. Yeah. F- Shadow um, Fugue. Fugue. So these are not, well, Davriel's good, but sh- Davriel's Shadow Few, not generally a great card. But if I know my opponents have a couple bombs in their deck, I'm way more likely to side one in. Again, this is in the best of threes. Mm-hmm. In best of ones, I might run one, but I, I really wouldn't like to. I, I want to rely on one of these other ways. It's of not getting great rid of the card advantage. Yeah. Especially if you draw it late. So those are sort of ways to beat bombs. And I think you want to have a few different ways. Chances, just mm-hmm. like the ability to, like, Listen, I'm still not favored if they have a no-catcher in their deck, maybe, but I have a chance against it. I'm not just dead to it. Yeah. Um, well, this oh, oh, is and, the last And point. the last, last yeah. point, too, and I think people sort of play incorrectly against the God Eternal specifically, which is, like, they just don't want to kill it. I've had a God Eternal on the table, and they Obnixilis's Cruelty some other creature I've got. Because they don't... I'm going to tuck it into my library and draw it again in three they, turns. Right. So they're like, I'm just not going to kill it. I'll just deal with it for now. Here's the problem. Killing it still is card Mm parity. It feels like you're down a card and they're up a card, but they're not. It's like totally lost. It puts it back in their library. You're going to have to deal with it again, but imagine it as if they had a second copy of that same card. Right. You still killed the first copy. They still have to draw it. It still takes their draw step. It also gives you a couple of turns in the clear, and that's the way I beat, actually, most of the time, the God Eternals, is kill it, Try and win the game before it comes back out. Or yeah. or the, that turn they get it and cast it. No escape. Yeah. Counter it. Or, you know, I've actually... Yeah, no escape's a, real, a really good one, yeah.
2: I've had a couple of God like God Eternal Bantu. It has Menace. I just I, I knew I was already at a high life total, but I I think the big thing you have to I'll ask yourself it. is... Yeah, race it. You yeah. can race a lot of these cards, too, if you have the right kind of board state. And if your opponent doesn't realize that you're out is to kill
1: them before they can kill you, then... ronis once it's out, it's just a 5-5. Five five. Like, it's not the worst thing ever. Oh, yeah. um, catch... Oketra and Kefnet are the two you have to kill because they will accrue more advantage at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, But I think people are not killing them when they can. And listen, if you look across the battlefield and you've got a kill spell and that's the best creature on your opponent's board, and if they've got one, it is. And if you can kill them and then crack in for
2: like six, seven damage and put them down super low, it gives because at a certain point too, I've had a lot of journalists
1: just have to sit there and block. Yeah. Sometimes you just go, listen. Here's what I need to happen. I kill this, and they draw land, land. And then I can win. Yeah. But that's an out. If your other
2: <laughs> out is just I'm not gonna touch it and just hope it somehow no works what? out. Yeah, what yeah. are you hoping for? That you're gonna top deck something? It's like, no, you need to look at the damage you can put out and try and race them if you have to. Um and that's a, a there are tempo swings that are huge. Cause there's a great episode of limited resources called Who's the Beatdown? Yeah. And I think which is basically like, are you the aggressor or are you being aggressed on? So play around that and i think a lot of times people as soon as they see a god eternal switch it and like oh all of a sudden i can't attack anymore and a lot of times that's actually not the case
1: now you have to be the beatdown because i can't win a long game now yeah i only can win a short game so i need to yeah there's been plenty of times where they play something like your catcher and i'm like yep i'm gonna chump attack in yeah i'm gonna lose my best creature because my my only hope is like they don't draw a creature in the next three turns or two turns or something yeah yeah planeswalkers sort of present a different problem. So, like, the Lilianas and the Ugins, the bombs, the Sarkins, Mm -hmm. they're really bomby planeswalkers. This is... And this is something about the format that I think is very, very important. And we'll get into this a little bit earlier. But I want some ways to get at planeswalkers because there's a bunch of ones, not just the super bombs, but there's the Kayas and the you know, Kasmina's, Kasmina's and the Vraska's, and the, even Chandra's a real pain. Oh my gosh. Chandra's the biggest pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. So I want some sort of maybe one or two sneaky ways to get at a planeswalker if I have to. And these, some of these also work against the God eternal. So like stealth mission, this card's gone up and up. Yeah. Am my, I, my, If someone played three of them against me and I just got wiped yeah. off the face of the planet. It's two and a blue for a sorcery. You put two plus one plus one counters on a creature and it can't be blocked for that turn. Normally
2: this card is just not a very playable card because it's a one-time use. You're getting some damage damage him but for what purpose it's
1: kind of like an enchantment aura that you wouldn't normally play but yeah. in this set because you need to get out of planeswalker out of nowhere because a lot of times they're looking at the board and they're like i can yep i got three blockers they got two attackers that's safe for me to play my planeswalker i'm gonna plus it if it's liliana make a zombie yeah and say go and what are they gonna do and if you have stealth mission, a lot of times you can be like, I stealth mission my guy, swing in, kill Liliana, and now it's not that bad. They played a six mana zombie. and yeah. You took a card out of your hand, the stealth mission, but in general, that trade is not game losing. You can win that game now. Whereas if Liliana just sits there making two twos over and over, and then eventually ultimates or makes everybody sacrifice creatures, you they draw cards, like, the longer that goes on, you just can't win. Yeah. Um, also, God Eternals. So. That's like what we're saying. God Eternal comes down. Sometimes you go, okay, well, stealth mission, swing in for seven or eight, puts you to like four
2: or five. And now they have to play another creature. Otherwise, you're just going to be able to out-attack them. Or you have, let's say, a Pegasus Corsair guy, whatever that is, or some way of just a little bit of evasion. Invasion in general is really great against Planeswalkers. The ways that I've killed Planeswalkers the most, if I'm in red, it's a
1: burn spell. If I'm in any other color, it's a flyer. Yeah, flyers are really, really good because of that. So... You know, all the white flyers. The blue's got a bunch of flyers, obviously. Street Diver, Shriek too. Diver is yeah. a playable card because of that. Ashiok Skulker I've actually found to be very, very good because it's a good blocker for your Planeswalkers. 3-5. And a lot of times they won't play their Vraskas and stuff into it because they're like, okay, so I play this. I activate, I get a 1-1 one, one Death Toucher, and then they just pay four mana and kill my abraska mm-hmm. and still have their Skulker, so it didn't even cost them a card. So do I want to play a four mana 1-1 one, one Death Touch? No. no. So then you're causing them to hold cards in their hand. You don't even know that the Skulker's the reason you're winning those games, but mm-hmm. it is because they're sitting there waiting to answer the Skulker before they play their Planeswalker, which can really jam them up. Yeah. In um, fact, it may be better for them to do that and have you waste your mana
2: to attack into that because then they're like, all right, next turn I'm going to develop out something even bigger or better.
1: So the bombs I actually have the hardest time with and I think are worse than the God Eternals, worse than the Lilianas and Ugans of the world are Time Wipe, Finale uh, of Glory, and Finale of Eternity. So So that's the the white and black finales. The white and black finales and the blue and white board wipe. These to me are the hardest cards to deal with in the format. Well, time wipe is particularly hard because you're
2: able to save a creature when you do it. And blue also, one of the commons is Spellgorger Weird, which allows you to sacrifice it and bring back a sorcery instant from your graveyard to your hand. So they can kind of do it a lot. Do it a
1: lot, right. So it, it, it destroys all creatures, but before you do that, you bounce one of your creatures back to your hand.
2: Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times I've just played it onto an empty board because I had nothing. Uh, the, just having a board wipe in this
1: format is extremely powerful. And Solar Blaze is also good, but not as good as time wipe. Not even close Because it, it good, doesn't yeah. kill Asha Skulkers and stuff. yeah finale to glory or finale of glory is that white white and x spell where you make x two twos, or if it's 10 or more you make two twos and four four flyers yeah i mean <laughs> sometimes you only need to make five two twos and oh, often i'd
2: say th- you, if you, four if, to five and you will win the game if x is
1: equal to five you're winning almost every time
2: yeah because at that point you're happy to just swing all in every single turn and they can't really block everything yeah um against board
1: stalls is pretty good too gives you a much bigger army if you're ahead oh boy then you can just wait too. Sometimes I've had it. I've cast it for ten, and I've had it cast for ten against me. Like oh yeah, just games waiting. go long. Yeah, I've naturally decked in games because there's a lot of board styles. So you can just sit there, wait, wait, wait. Nothing scary. Nothing scary. Cast it for ten. Just yeah. win. Um, the black finale is the one where you destroy up to three creatures with uh, toughness, toughness X, X or less. less yeah. yeah. Again with spellgorger. or no, sorry. The blue weird. The spell something weird. I
2: <laughs> the think blue spell... one. Are... <laughs> something weird
1: you sacrifice it for two mana and then get an instant or sorcery out of your yeah. graveyard with that with that card in finale uh it is spell eternity weird. no no it's not it's spell dang it, i spell, spell gorger is no. the it's black spelled, the, oh, yeah. sorry the red one yeah the red one um anyway so you can get finale of eternity back a couple of times that's like nearly unbeatable spell keeper weird spell keeper not gorger. gorger keeper gorger is red keepers blue duh um Here's one thing I would say, too, on Arena, and if you're trying to get mythic, you have to play best of one, and that best of one definitely makes dealing with the bombs harder. So much harder. If you're playing for value and you want to just keep playing and you want to be able to draft a lot and win enough so that it's not costing a bunch of gems, too, then best of three is actually going to help you out a lot because you can see the God Eternals in game one and then side in those Kazmina transmutations. You can side in a stealth mission. Mm -hmm. You can side in, you know Uh, uh, a discard spell or two. You can do some stuff, whereas in best of one, you kind of have to pre-sideboard a little. Yeah. And you can do the thing I'm talking about in best of one, too, which is as you get up towards about four or five wins, you're very likely to run into the Liliana decks and the Oketra decks and the things like that because they have those cards they got to four or five wins. Side in your toll of the invasions, discards, and all that stuff. I'm way more likely to bring Kasmina's... transmutation in once i get like
2: four and one four and oh yeah that's a good point you can edit your deck between rounds which is something that you're not allowed to do in mtgo when you draft uh so that's something that i would definitely keep an eye out you can always change up your deck if you find that a card
1: just isn't working for you go in and edit it before you play your next round okay so let's talk about what i consider to be the key to the format and the biggest thing and if you are out there and having trouble drafting war of the spark i think if you pay attention to this next piece of advice it will up your win percentage by a decent amount it's you need to pick and play the low drops, that's specifically two drops really, mm-hmm. a higher than you are. So, this format is about dictating the battlefield conditions because of planeswalker. It's, it's about getting out there early and making sure that you are on the board and dictating to the Planeswalkers. And by dictating, I mean saying to your opponent, if you play Planeswalker now, you can't get full value out of it. Yeah. It's going to be a bad position to play a Planeswalker. Or saying, you can't get to my Planeswalker. So, the really good two drops are, in red, there's Burning Prophet. Yep. In black, there's Lazotep Reaver. In green, there's Pollenbright Druid. In blue, there's Sky Theater Strix. That one I, surprised me. I thought that was going to be crap, but it's... I, I like that card a it's lot. It's definitely good. Um, white has the War Screecher, which is not great, and the other two on the ground. I don't like white very much in this format. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, there's also uncommon Tybalt's Rager, Dread Malkin, and Eternal Taskmaster, which I considered to be very good. I want five or six two drops in my deck and I will go into the vanilla two twos or the or even a, a prismite or something if I have to to make sure I have at least five or six two drops. I feel yeah. like missing a two drop is a really good way to lose the game.
2: Yeah, because if you're on the plane, you miss it. it's It feels bad. If you're on the draw and you miss it, then you're already super behind. Because
1: um, also they go three drop, four drop Planeswalker and you didn't play a two and a three, you can't get to it, and you're just done.
2: Yeah. Dreadmalkin's also very good because cards that have Menace also are, are very relevant. Uh, it's basically
1: and, like a evasion.
2: Yeah, and, and it has the ability to pump itself up really quickly in case, you know, there are a lot of tokens flying around, a lot of fodder as well for cards like Dreadmalkin.
1: I think it's hard to tell that that's the reason you win games when you play these early drops because mm-hmm. what happens, like we talked about earlier, you play a two drop, it goes to your opponent, and they're, they've, they're holding like a Planeswalker or two in their hand, and they're thinking like, okay, I can't put it down I have to play a creature so that it can block for my Planeswalker. And then they do that. And then you play another creature. And they're like, okay. If I play my Planeswalker now, they got free attacks on it. So play another won't... creature. Or
2: I'll just pass the
1: turn even better. So I can't play it. So maybe I do nothing or I do not the best play. I don't play the best card out of, out of my hand. And yeah. and you tempo them to the point where, like, by the time they do play it, if they ever can really get a good spot, it's too late to have the impact that they wanted it yeah. to. Think of, like... um. Here's a sequence that I've had happen a lot because I draft Lazotep Reaver, like, super high. Yeah. Cards, very good in this format. I think it's, yeah, it's probably, like, my favorite card in black. I'll take the removal spell over it. I think if I have an Obnixilus Cruelty and a Spark Harvest, I'll probably take Lazotep Reavers over them from then out in the draft. If you already have one in your deck. If I have one of each of those, then I'll take my second, third, fourth Lazotep Reaver before I'll take a second, third, or fourth... uh, Omnic Cruelty or something. Yeah, I mean, well, you're creating two bodies for one card yep. and in a
2: game when you're trying to have more creatures than your opponent so that you can freely attack in and stop them from playing Planeswalkers, that's what makes a big difference.
1: The Amass token is actually really important because if you can Amass again, it's like creating something with haste that's bigger. Yeah. Because you already have the 1-1 one, one out there. Uh, amass works totally better than I thought it would. We'll, again, we'll talk about that in a second. But this play pattern I've had happen a lot. Turn two, Lazotep Breather. Turn three, Davriel. You just win. <laughs> Yeah, you discard pretty much every card in their hand past that point. It's like they mold to five. Yeah. You can even chump block with your Lazzotepa Reaver. A lot of times they can't get to you because they didn't play a two drop. But if, even if they have a creature, they go, okay, three drop. And you're like, chump block. Take your second card. Yeah attack you again, chump block, take your third card. And you're probably going to have played something else at that point, too. They're done! Yeah, They're totally done at that point. Never mind if you go,
2: like, aid the fallen, uh, get Davriel back. Well, aid the fallen is also just, I think, one of the better black commons in the the set, because you can rebuy cards like Davriel and Ashiok, and and those are cards that are
1: win conditions in and of themselves. So, play more two drops. Take the two drops highly. Burning Profit should go very highly. It's like the second or third best red common. Jai's Mm -hmm. Greeting, I think, is better, but Burning Profit is, you know, at a certain point, there are times where I've got three Jaya's Greetings. I'm taking a Burning Profit over that.
2: Well, here's the thing about Burning Profit, too, is that if games are going long, the scry value, as well as the fact that you can sometimes crack in for a lot more damage, is really, really important. Because you need to make sure, like, draw, the ways that I've lost games are you're super far ahead and the opponent starts to catch up, and then you hit, like, a rut of lands. Yep. So any way to make sure that you're more consistent in your draws, especially to, ca- it's like, you started the race really strong, but you have to carry it to the end in this format.
1: Sky Theater Strix, 1-2 Flyer, gets plus 1, plus plus 0 if you cast uh, a non-creature spell, is way better than it looks because the way they designed basically the non-rare Planeswalkers is they activate twice, and then they're at one loyalty. Yep. So their static ability will still be there. So if you can ever hit one of them for two, you take away an activation. And most of them are not great if they only get to activate once. You're paying four mana for a 1-1 Death toucher you're playing four mana for a 2-2 that loots. You're paying, you know... Well, that's why cards like Arlen are so good. They're playing good three they mana get... for a 1-1 one, one that yeah. deals one damage. Like... Yeah. And
2: it, and most of the Planeswalkers get two activations before they're about to die from the activation, or they cannot even activate because they're at a total that doesn't let them do it again.
1: Yeah, so the Sky Theater Strix very often is like, they won't play their Planeswalker because they're like, I only get one activation. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, okay, that's the key. That's the number one key to the format. Let's talk about um, colors and how the colors work. Blue and black are definitely the best. Uh, that that I've just come to see. I don't know. Red is up there. I, I think black... Because of the removal? I think black is the best color. Yeah. I think... Because we just talked about how many black cards, and the top four black cards are all awesome. Yeah, and the commons are all awesome, too, yeah. and their bombs are pretty darn good. I mean, I think the real thing takeaway is avoid white. White is pretty bad. I'm Wh- not saying you can never play it, but I have to open a time wipe or a finale t- yeah. of glory. And even then you might oh, splash Catra.
2: the time white. Well, yeah. you can't
1: really splash time white. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing green about... You can, because of New Horizons.
2: Yeah, the thing I've found that a lot of players have... Uh, I've been, like, streaming this as well, and people have been like, it's so good, it's got so much removal. And I think that's one of the easy, easy traps to fall into in Limited, which is, like, just because you have ways to get rid of stuff doesn't make the color as a whole good. Because... RD will try and balance all the colors out to have equal types of removal in terms of power level. And if you think about it, the other colors do have good removal. It's just that white is more transparent on the
1: surface with how they like to do it. Yeah, white is just played out very poorly every time I've had it. I, I don't like it. Again, if I get one of the white super bombs, yeah. I will play white. But otherwise, you know, like a normal white rare or like Teferi or something will come in and I'll be like, nope, Omnix is is Cruelty because I just don't want to be near white if I can. Yeah. Um, Teferi is also just not that good, but... Yeah, it's like an okay card. So the Grixis colors are the colors I really want to be in. So I Mm want to be blue-black, blue-red, or red-black. I think all three of those decks are awesome. I'm actually not even sure which of those three is the best. I used to think it was blue-red spells. Mm -hmm. And then I went on this huge run where I just, you know... I went like 20 and 2 with like red black. Just Oh nice. Just, just four times in a row. You know, I was like, well, red black's the best deck, but blue black is also like super good and I rarely lose with it. So, yeah. anything in Grixis is good. I you know, I almost always start out black if I can. I think it's just the deepest color and I think blue's the
2: second best color. Yeah, and green has been a little disappointing to me too, even though it's got uh, some of the better enders. Even there's that se- uh, six mana, seven six. Yeah. You Which know? is like some of those cards are like, okay, cool, it's hard to beat. Or if you have a Crunch Wrangler deck in green, red, that just gets real big, real fast. Raging Crunch, one of my new favorite cards ever. Favorite name of card. It's a three <laughs> mana, four three yeah. that can't attack alone, but it is one of the best blockers. And when it does get to attack, it just hammers home the point that you're you're killing them through damage.
1: Yeah, that's the thing I miss about that card, actually, was that it could block the first time. You'd think that yeah. it's, yeah. Um, I, I find when I'm green, and I don't know if it's the same for you. I'm usually like green, black. And then I'm usually just green as like a color that's allowing me to play a few blue cards, a few red cards, and maybe a white card. Right. Because you have Centaur Nurture, you have the Druid, Heritage Druid, I think. Paradise Druid. Paradise Druid, yeah. Uh, yeah, New Horizons. Right. With Mana Geodes and that go- the Globe, which is actually turned out to be like the best fixer, I think, in the format. The Globe yeah. is because it replaces it's itself. A cantrip, yeah. So it doesn't flood you out. But that's a lot of times when I'm green, I'm only green because it allows me to play like these, you know, pivot around to grab these planeswalkers and play off color yeah yeah so avoid white sorry white maybe next time so i think one of the other thing is there's some really hard to evaluate cards in this format so bolus's citadel listen great in edh we know that we when we drafted in person you were like is this card good and i'm like yeah but i only knew that because i'd had it yeah Bolas's citadel is an insane card yep sometimes you just play like cast bolus's citadel play five cards in that turn. Because you're just like, I right, look, Lazarus of Temporary. yep, play that. Oh, Omnixil's Cruelty, play that. play that, kill that. Oh, I'll play that. The Tithe, uh, tithe Biker Giant, boom. Yeah. And so you're, that's you're a lo- turn that's, they won't beat you now.
2: Yeah, that's the thing is that it pushes you so far ahead that I've had so many games where I've won at one or two life just because they can't get past my board state.
1: Because you're like, I have 27 things because I could just play 12 mana worth of stuff on one turn.
2: Not to mention, Ballast of just also lets you play lands off the top. So it's it's similar to Experimental Frenzy in that way. Um, Now, the only thing about it is that it's three black, black, black. Yeah. So you need to have a heavily black deck to be able to play it on curve. But even then, late game, if you're just at a board stall or whatever, that thing will just break it wide open.
1: Again, New Horizons. I've splashed for it before with like three (laughs) New Horizons because it's that good. You're crazy. So here's what I was wrong about because in that same draft, you asked me, is this card good? And I said, no. Oh, Vivian's arc bow? And I yeah, and, and, uh... Yeah, I've I, lost that card a lot. Now I'm like, never mind, I was wrong. We, listen, you reevaluate and draft all the time, and yeah. Vivian's arc bow seems like card disadvantage, or, because you could miss, mm-hmm. um... But no, the card is just really good.
2: Yeah, I've the games that really destroy me are when it's that's the only thing they have on the battlefield. And I'm like, well, I hope I top deck better than them looking through the top seven or eight cards in their library every time.
1: And also, I can't attack them because yeah. they can activate it at instant speed. So they get to go, okay, sit there. Every turn, you know, once they're at seven mana, every turn they just draw their card and pass the turn to you, and you're like, what do I do? Because yeah. if I attack them, they activate the Arcbow, put who God knows what into play, eat one of my creatures, and now I have a huge thing, possibly. And if I don't attack them, they do that anyway, get the best creature out of their top seven, and just slowly, because I'm going to draw lands eventually, Yeah, they're going to draw a creature every turn now.
2: Yep, pretty yeah. much every turn, especially when you're at seven to eight mana. And even if the creature isn't that great, if you're discarding a land to do that, that's better than nothing. So, Dude, I had it in a draft with Ilharg.
1: Oh, nice. So I would get it, in attack, attack. They would like try and block and kill it. It would go third from the top. I would get it back out with the arc oh, bow again. Boy. <laughs> oh, just, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> pretty bad. That is pretty, pretty awful. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on here, and we're almost done, is so in draft it's really easy to talk about when you're drafting, how you evaluate cards, what to pick, how to build the best deck. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to talk about, just like EDH in-game decisions but war of the spark has more in-game decisions that matter and limited than any other format i've ever played
2: yeah it's just a constant. you're constantly asking yourself do i do x y or z and you have a bunch of different options available and it's hard to figure out okay what is the most optimal thing and how am i going to win this game
1: and i don't know about you i've made the most mistakes in this format of any format i've ever made i mean i don't know how many times i've tried to draw cards when our sets out or <laughs> tried to like Oh, fireball I to, something when yeah. the Wanderer's out or, or like Nahiri kills me with first strike damage yeah, yeah exactly you're just like you have to keep tabs on all the static effects all the time mm-hmm. and I've made even like Narset's gotten me four times maybe it's not even like I learned the first time <laughs> it happened like contentious plan Oh crap! Oh, crap. No, I'm the stupidest person ever. I just the other day I did Casmina with Narset out. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's just like don't draw the card now. Draw discard the card now. This card. Yeah, discard, yeah because <laughs> you can't draw more course. than one card. To turn. Yeah. Wow, stupid. But the, it is very hard. So one thing I want to talk about is blocking and trading because I think that oh, yeah. the dynamic of attacking, blocking, when to trade, when to offer trades is very different in this set because of the Planeswalkers. So in general, you need to alter your decisions when you're attacking and blocking, when you're accepting trades. Because of planeswalkers. So, if you have planeswalkers of your own, I would say the heuristic you want to use is don't block and offer trades unless you're protecting a planeswalker. Mm-hmm. So, there'll often be times where, like, let's say it's turn two and they attack into your 2 2 with their 2 2. In general, you block. I'm often being like, if you got a trick, more power to you, I'm going to block. Because I'll get that trick out of your hand right now. And I'd rather, yeah, have it now than later when it might and be more And maybe it'll waste your whole, t- whole turn or whatever. But if I have got Planeswalkers in my deck, I don't want to be facing a creature and I don't have anything in, on the board. Right. So I'm way more likely, in fact, almost always in this set, I'm like, take the damage. I'd rather have the creature on the board. Yeah. I need the creature on the board. Also, if they do that and then play a Planeswalker and you have no board... How are you going to attack back? What, my stealth missions and stuff just don't work anymore. My my little tricky ways to get in there just yeah. don't work. I need creatures out to protect my Planeswalkers and to attack theirs. So don't be blocking and trading. For no reason. Unless you're protecting a Planeswalker. It's not worth it to protect your life total early in the game. Um, and the next thing is you don't want to attack them and offer trades in the same sense if you know you've got Planeswalkers and stuff in your deck. So right. th- there's a lot less attacking on my part in general just being like, if I attack and they trade here, what happens? What if mm-hmm. I draw? Like, a lot of times, well, what if I draw one of my Planeswalkers? It's just not worth it for the two damage. I'm just going to keep this bl- this back here so that it can play as a blocker. Because if I play my Kaya and they can't get to it, I'll just win this game. Yep, yep. So, yeah, the Planeswalkers have so much power and they
2: swing the game so heavily in your favor sometimes that you want to protect them at all costs. Because I would say, like, Arlen Cord is probably the only Planeswalker that can take a hit and still get max a lot of value out of her. Everybody Um, else takes two, and that takes away an entire activation. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So you want to be able to hold that, especially if you're playing like a mill Ashiok deck, then I just try and flood the board. You don't
1: care about doing damage because it does nothing for you. You're going to mill them out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'd say that's a big, big thing. I very, very often will just take damage when I could trade now because I am really, really wanting to protect my Planeswalkers or be able to get at theirs, and I can't do that if I don't have creatures on the board. So I just don't want... I'm just trying to lessen the amount of chances they have to get my creatures off the board. Um, Okay, I wanted to talk about some tricky stuff. There's cool stuff you can do in the format. You know, us EDH players, we love tricky stuff. Um, The first one is Command the Dreadhorde. What's your thought on this? Do you think it's a powerful card? I think it's really good. We misevaluated it in the set review because when we did the set review, we just missed the word damage. Yeah. So it's four black black for a sorcery, and you can... Choose any number of of creatures creatures from any graveyards. And Planeswalkers. And put them onto the battlefield, and then you take damage equal to the converted mana cost of those creatures. Take damage. Yeah. We thought it was loss of life. Damage can be prevented or redirected. Mm -hmm. In fact, within this set, there are two different ways to do it. The Wanderer prevents you you and all of the... Yeah, from taking non-combat damage. That's non-combat damage. So if you play Command the Dreadhorde... And you have the Wanderer already out on the battlefield. You can't um, bring you the Wanderer bring it, out. Yeah, because yeah, the damage happens uh, before the creatures get out It's on resolution basically. of yeah. the spell, not yeah, entering the battlefield effects. But you can basically get... You can... Uh, what's the spell? Rise of the Dark Realms? Yeah. Uh, if you have Wander out and take zero damage. Uh, Gideon's Sacrifice is another one where you can redirect that damage to a creature. Now, again, you have to have the creature out before you cast command the dread horde and you're playing Gideon sacrifice which is not great <laughs> but i if i had command the dread horde i would play it yeah totally because that is so powerful um to be able to just get like 20 or 30 power worth of stuff mm-hmm. but for six mana like it's insanity yeah pretty good and there's a lot of blocking and trading once planeswalkers come out and a lot of things dying um another one this is a really cool one uh i realized this mid game in one game so chandra nice. your opponent has a chandra Whenever loyalty counters are removed from Chandra, it deals damage
2: to target player. uh, To a target opponent or Planeswalker. Planeswalker, based on the
1: number of counters that are removed. Right. It's not a May ability. Mm -hmm. So if you can smack Chandra, that trigger goes on the stack. Let's say she's got three counters. Let's say she's got five counters. You hit her for three. Mm -hmm. That's going to do three damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. If in response to that trigger you Lazotep plate and you give yourself Hexproof, they will have to point that damage at Chandra Oh herself, because there's no if there's another planeswalker, yeah. and they can't te- then they can't point it out themselves because it says target opponent. Very nice. And so that's a way to kill Chandra's uh, if Chandra's the only planeswalker out. Otherwise, to, they point it out herself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's, that's actually trick. really cute. Yeah. Do you think step playing is good? Because that that card's gone yeah.
2: up and up in my book too. I think
1: all the Abbas cards are good.
2: Yeah. Not oh, no, sorry. There's... Sorry. Uh, the what's the one the three in a blue makes a mass three. Oh, uh, yeah, it's something, it's not Tammy's Epiphany. It's Relentless
1: uh, it's Relentless, relentless assault. assault, yeah. That one's not good. The ones that it's like, I do something and I amass. Yeah. If it's tacked on amass, it's all good. Um, amass is very good. And the last one is two cards we talked about. Spellkeeper Weird. That's the one you pay to, tap it and sacrifice, get an instant or sorcery out of your graveyard in your hand. Mm-hmm. And Aid the Fallen, which
2: return up to one target creature and one target Planeswalker from your graveyard to your hands. So if you have
1: Spellkeeper Weird and a Planeswalker, you can just always get both back. Right. The Spellkeeper Weird gets the Aid the Fallen, the Aid the Fallen gets your Planeswalker and the Spellkeeper Weird. Get the Planeswalker out, use it, get it to the graveyard, do it again, rinse, repeat. You can sort of recast the same Planeswalker over and over. And in long games, it's
2: very, very good. Not to mention, I would say like cards like, uh, is it Spark Reaper? The guy that oh sacri- yeah Spark Reaver yeah any of the cards that allow you to sacrifice a planeswalker as well uh, mm-hmm. is really powerful like that one allows you to pay three sacrifice a creature or a planeswalker gain a life draw a card a lot of times that card have, I
1: found to be awesome actually yeah a
2: lot of times you'll have a planeswalker at one loyalty because you've used it twice and your opponent literally knows okay I don't need to attack this thing because what if they have Aid the Fallen or whatever you can sacrifice them get them back
1: with Aid the Fallen so those and you cards get to draw card and uh, yeah. gain a life yeah yeah pretty good Heartfire I think is actually another good card yeah. because of that reason. Uh, I thought Hardfire was going to be clunky, but it's you just often have stuff lying around that you can sacrifice. Including a mass tokens. All right, that's going to do it on our discussion of Magic the Gathering Arena and War of the Spark Draft. Thanks for sticking around, those people that enjoy that stuff. Uh, we've been playing a lot of Arena and really loving it, so we're probably going to talk about it a little more here and there.
2: Yeah, and we'll probably talk delve more into also how the bots work because that's a huge part of learning how to play better draft is figuring out what they're valuing and what they're not evaluating correctly. For instance, Ugin's Conjurant, one of the best cards in the set.
1: Bots uh, don't think so
2: though. Yeah, Unless they've changed be their mind the recently.
1: Best uncommon?
2: I mean it's very high on my list. It's yeah. super high. Well, it goes in every deck. That's why it just shoots up the ladder in terms of how good it is. Yeah, I probably
1: pick Kaya and Casmin and all that. The I would best say Kai non- is on Planeswalker Uncommon. Yeah.
2: Kai is probably the best uncommon planeswalker. Um, Vraska, Varraska, is Vraska's up there too. I think Casmina and, and Kai are two different houses of why they're good, but I think Kai just by herself is is nutty. It's one
1: of the best cards in the set. Yeah, it's crazy. Um all right. To the listeners. What do you think about Urza? We're going to go back to that. <laughs> uh, do you think that Watsi has been creating cards that are you know, a little too powerful for the format? What do you think about that part of the discussion? Or what do you think about War of the Spark Draft? Do you have any tips for, mm-hmm. for us or for anybody else out there? You can answer any of those questions, all three. You can cherry pick. Do whatever yeah. you want.
2: Comment below, tweet add us, email us,
1: join our Patreon and our Discord. Join in on the discussion as well about Urza. And if you want to buy a bunch of Zero or very cheap costed artifacts for your Urza deck. By the way, a lot of them cost very little. Yeah. Like and actually this though. is one of the great things about Card Kingdom because some other websites you go to, it's difficult to order like one twenty five cent card. Right. Oh yeah. They have
2: you have to pay a dollar or two dollars.
1: Yeah. Card Kingdom you just make a big cart with a bunch of this stuff in it and they have all of it. And it makes it a lot easier. So if you go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone when you're ordering all the cards for your Urza deck, or maybe you've seen another legendary creature. We don't know which which ones have been revealed yet Mm -hmm. from uh, Modern Horizons. We really do appreciate everybody that uses that affiliate link. They help us with game nights, extra turns, this podcast, all of our content. And so does Ultra Pro. Obviously, we have these cool playmats that we will be giving away soon. As oh, yeah, well. we have the anime-style uh,
2: playmats. I forgot yeah, to super call super cool. They the had Sor- alternate art. Oh, that one is sweet. Yeah, Soren. So they create alternate art for and half the uh, – you have a 50% chance of opening a Japanese um, pack and getting an alternate art Planeswalker – or each time a planeswalker Market shows up, you have a 50% chance of it being... Only in a, Japanese Booster Packs. Only so, booster yeah. But yeah, these planets are awesome. Thank you, Ultra Pro, for sponsoring the show as well. All right, let's move on to the end where we're talking about something cool outside the world of Magic. Uh, you wrote this down. I'm excited. The next season's coming out, right?
1: Yeah, so June 5th, the new season of Handmaid's Tale. June, a very fitting name. Yeah. Fitting month <laughs> for the uh, show. Uh, it's the third season, and I did want to mention it ahead of time because I wanted everybody to have a chance to go to Hulu. It's on Hulu. Uh, and... Binge watch. through the first two seasons so they can catch up and watch on season three because I think I'm going to say this statement and I think it's true for me right now. I think oh. this is the best television show, quote unquote, that exists right now. It's definitely better than Game of Thrones currently. Yeah, I knew, I knew you were <laughs> going to say that. It's, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I, I will stand by that statement I, for me anyway. It's my favorite TV show. I say that in quotes because it's obviously it's streaming. It's yeah. on Hulu. Um. Right now. It's very, very good. The acting, the writing's really good. It's shot beautifully. Yeah, the cinematography is great. Yeah. It's it's also
2: a incredibly depressing and sad show and oh, yeah, very it's dramatic. <laughs> it's not like a, a cheery <laughs> a thing point. to watch. But for that, I usually tend to stray away from those kinds of shows. I found myself sucked more and more into it because of all the parts of the production are so well done. And the story itself feels re- very relevant and very pertinent as well as just modern day.
1: It's definitely a poignant story and yeah, it's great. I, I would I would just Recommend it highly to anybody who wants to check out a really good TV show. Hey, um, but yes, uh, for those that listen to this podcast or watch it with your children, it's probably not appropriate. It's like not Game of Thrones. Kid. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, The Lord of Actually, it's not even like Game of Thrones. Uh, it's a little like Game of Thrones. Plus but I th- I'd say Plus I would be less inclined to let like my teenager or younger watch it than i would game of thrones yeah
2: i would actually you know i would say if i had to choose one of the two game of thrones if they want to be involved in pop culture handmaid's tale if they want more thought experiments or stuff because it is definitely... it. I mean, because Game of Thrones is, at the end of the day, it's not... Like... No,
1: I'm saying I would not allow anybody that's, like, if they were my teenager or younger to even watch Handmaid's Tale, where I would consider Game of Thrones. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially in recent seasons, Game of Thrones got way less... Um... That's true. Nudie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> way point. less nudie. Way less nudie. Something else that is not nudie at all is... The Masters of Modern Podcast, our yes. sister podcast. That's how they like to be described, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, it's Alex Cousin and Ben Bateman. We are not nude today. <laughs> so those two guys, they really know the modern format. And of course, our preview card, Urza, is from Modern Horizons. Has a ton of new cards that have never existed in Modern before. So I'm sure those guys are going to be breaking down exactly which ones are going to fit into which decks or create new archetypes or Very you know exciting. all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure they're super stoked about it. You can find them on Twitter at The MMCast. You can go to YouTube, just type Masters of Modern into the search bar. Or you can go to collected.company, and they are right next to us. Hey, at the MMCast. Good, good guys. They're going to be having a blast with this next they got to be way. going crazy. That's yeah. like when Commander product comes out for us. This is that for them. Yeah, but it's is it the first time it's ever happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel bad because we get that every year. I know, right? <laughs> uh,
2: our editor for the show is Jared Lafreniere. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer as well, who makes the Living Card Animations behind us. And as well, in front and ending the videos on youtube.com slash thecommandsandpodcast. You can find Jeffrey at LivingCardsMTG on Twitter. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at jfwang and at Josh Lee Kui. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard